Good morning. My name is uh, Jamie Nemsis, and this is the third season of Market Thinkers. This series uh, being dedicated to everything retirement. As per usual, I'm I'm joined by my co-host and business partner, Drew Meredith. Morning, Drew. Hi, Jamie. And our guest today, our very special guest today, is Mark Smith. Welcome, Mark. Welcome. Thank you. Throughout this series, we've talked about lots of interesting topics, uh, topics around investments and economics. This episode is going to be more centric on what's really important about retirement, especially when you, you first become an, a retiree, um, which is structure and specifically around self-managed super funds. Uh, at Waddle, um, our wealth management firm, we specialise in re- retirement. It actually took us many, many years to find this uh, speciality. And that, that was uh, not just about investments and essentially finding a perfect mix between what is structure, investments, and for our clients, things like lifestyle, engagement, control, lots of things that, you know, what would be seen as our competitors being industry funds can't really provide. Um, that in mind, we've worked with uh, Mark's group for a long time, establishing self-managed super funds, managing self-managed super funds, um, and you know, controlling all the various elements. Unfortunately, I'm getting close to 50, and I've seen legislation change not just once, but, but at least 15 times over that journey. Um, so superannuation is, uh, is really, really important to our clients, you know, um, clients in the last third of their journey and uh, self-managed super funds play a really big role. So I think today will be a really interesting session. Uh, Drew, do you want to introduce Mark and more about what the session will cover? Yeah, thanks, Jamie. I think Jay, you were kind of alluding to it there that, you know, when Stole your thunder, we, did I? No, not quite, but uh, <laughs> When, you know, when people are entering retirement or just in our lives generally, we tend to focus on the most exciting parts. No offense, Mark, working super, but everyone wants to, you know, what stock am I picking? What fund am I picking? What manager? What cryptocurrency? Maybe not crypto, but um, whereas as advisors, we see the, the biggest value, that can, a lot of the value that can be delivered is one, avoiding mistakes that people make in entering uh, retirement and also just making sure they're using the best <clears throat> structure possible and that's where superannuation comes in as Jamie said it used to be 10 or 15 years of retirement now you're talking about 30 to 40 years um, so having your, your assets in the, the best structure is is very important um, and I don't need to go into the three types of super uh, but I think there's a lot of talk that the SMSF sector specifically is is getting a lot of competition or not growing as quickly. But in fact, there was a couple of articles come out today that is growing faster than ever. So we thought, mm. who better than uh, would you, Mark Smith. So he spent time at Just Super. If, you know, I think you did not hundreds of thousands, but thousands of SMSF returns, uh, Super Concepts, um, and now Neo Super. Uh, would you consider yourself a superannuation lifer? Mark? A lifer. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> It's, it's certainly a life term. Um, yeah, I've, I've been in the industry uh, for 20 odd years. Um, so it, by now, um, yeah, I'm certainly. You work with I've, Fran Horn, Mark, is that right? I did. I did. I picked her brains early the on. I, I knew. First she person I ever met in self managed super funds was Fran Horn, and she's yep. still 
still providing advice. Yeah, everything I learned about pensions, I learned from her. Um, and I still remember learning RBL. Uh, uh, Pre-94. From, yeah, all that uh, fun <laughs> stuff uh, from her. So, yeah, she was a great asset uh, of the business back uh, in the day when she was running out of a little suburb out of um, Melbourne. So it uh, started very small. And there seems to be a bit of confusion that, you know, SMSFs is subject to different laws to normal superannuation. Um, that's, is that the case or? No, it's all, all uh, you know, there's, some super funds have different requirements. Like SMSF is certainly more restricted uh, on what you can and can't do. But no, it's the same framework. It's all governed by SIS. Uh, uh, by the CIS Act, so. Is it worth kind of, I've been, I'm nearly 40, so no, no, you know, a little bit less experienced than, than you two. Is it worth kind of running through some of the You bring the that history? up every day. Every <laughs> single day he brings that up. I'm 40 next year, so <laughs> I'm catching. Um, is it worth kind of, you alluded to at the beginning, Jamie, you know, the superannuation keeps changing. Is it is it going to be, should we run through a couple of those or is it, is it ever going to stop being the best place? I reckon, to your Drew. Retirement? Why don't you Why don't you just start about what superannuation is for you know for people that are listening to this and we're straight into self managed super funds? Can you Can you? I'll put you on the spot. Just you know, articulate <laughs> why in our client base, probably eighty five percent of uh, uh, the the money that we manage is sitting in a self managed super fund. I think by far the superannuation environment is the most tax effective place to have your retirement capital, regardless of, we've got a list of about 15 different changes in legislation that have happened. Uh, Mm. Regardless of those, once you retire and start drawing a pension, the majority or up to $1.6 million of assets becomes exempt from any income or capital gains tax. And that's just unbeatable in any uh, entity structure. And then on the other side, once you turn 60, um, draw any income you draw from superannuation, uh, is also completely tax-free. So that's, as I think, as simple as it is. You can break that yeah. down and talk about the different types of super. There's three types. You know, the industry fund, everyone knows Australian super, a corporate super fund like an MLC or a Hub24. Qantas. Um, Qantas, yeah. And then they're self-managed. So maybe I'll put back on Mark and why do, why do most people start an SMSF? It just gives them that control and flexibility. Um, so, you know, you're in the driver's seat of, of what the fund invests in. So if, if you want to buy a commercial property uh, in the fund, you know, you've got that uh, right to do it in self-managed. You can't do that uh, with, a, with an Australian super uh, fund. Uh, so, you know, you control what the fund invests in. That's, I think that's the primary reason uh, people get into self-managed. So let, let, let's just um, put some bookends on that. What's the range of investments? So it goes from normal bank account, you can get at CBA to crypto is pretty... Um, pretty, pretty much pretty... as long as the deed allows for it. Uh, yep. There's not many things the fund can't invest in. Okay. Um, and as long as your investment strategy actually allows for the fund to invest in it. So... Um, Use the word investment strategy there. Just um, maybe if we can just explain to the listeners what an investment strategy. Um, I'm sure we've done it in a previous podcast, but what an investment strategy is. Yep. Again, maybe from you, Mark, or even from you, Drew, because obviously you do them every day. And you're, and you're a SMSF account, aren't you, Mark? Not a not an auditor. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So that maybe it's worth explaining what that role is and how sure. the investment strategy kind of fits into that so 
So yeah, there's, it, it came enshrined uh, in the legislation that, uh, that the fund needs an investment strategy. So it needs to sort of cover the circumstances of the fund, uh, the diversification covers the risk uh, profile of the fund, uh, liquidity requirements. Uh, so you know what the trustees are intending to invest in it meets the goals of of what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, I think the, one of the big ones there is kind of objective returns where, you know, a lot of people start an SMSF role in their corporate super plan when they retire and just start investing. Um, I know this is a requirement for an NF to, to do your tax returns and have your audit, but it probably sh it should just be standard practice. When you start a fund, you should have a strategy that you're guarded by. But a lot of people um, in, I'm sure over the last 15, 20 years, you've seen a broad range of investment strategies come through. Yes, well, most certainly. It's mostly, you know, pro forma strategies that, you know, nearly every fund has, you know, CPI increase uh, plus 3% returns over, <laughs> over the course of the fund. Uh, I see that a lot, but uh, the ACO... What, what, what gets up my nose is, you know, these, uh, no offence to my peers that are accountants, but uh, <laughs> the investment strategies that say cash zero to 100, fixed income zero to 100, you know, Aussie shares zero to 100, and then you go, well, the auditor can sign off on it because you're compliant because you're somewhere between zero and 100. Surely, surely that's not right. Surely at some no, point. <laughs> no, the, the HO came out in the last sort of 12 months and put auditors on notice. Yep. Uh, to start checking uh, a few things not like investment strategies and property valuations. And they've made it clear that an asset allocation that is allows zero to hundred percent in any asset class is a no, no, because it's basically put no thought uh, into what the fund's investing. Sure. And especially when you then have a target, right? If you've got zero to hundred in a target and then the trustees, which are typically the members, um, uh, the two don't really add up from an investment perspective. You know, it's uh, it's yeah. a bit harder than that. What so. do you you've, you've seen a lot of change from two thousand seven was the real big change where we had reasonable benefits limits for one year when I was working, and then they were gone <laughs> after that. Please um, mention it again. Are they? <laughs> Um, not without being political, have the changes been positive for for the superannuation industry and, and SMSF sector? I don't know about all the uh, T-bar limits and all that. Uh, that uh, you know, back in simple super days in 2007, um, you know, removing the RBL limits and allowing you know the bulk of the funds to be invest, uh, to go into pension mode, I thought was really beneficial. Um, but with all the uh, deficits in the budget, they, they need to put a a clamp on the money going into super. So I think the latest ones are a bit more restrictive, um, but it is, you know, for most of the average people, you know, 1.6 in super should be more than adequate enough. Hasn't hurt a lot of people though, has it? No. You know, in terms of the, everyone goes, oh, well, don't put your money into superannuation because you're subject to risk, that risk being legislation change. But it, you know, and we've been, I've been advised for 25 years. So when I look at my, the clients that that advice of put, put at least two thirds of your money into superannuation, typically pick a self-managed superannuation fund. Don't worry about the legislation because you have some money outside. No one's really been, you know, taxed at 49% for even the ones that put a lot in there, they're still very, very concessionally taxed yeah, versus very, any other yeah, structure. Yeah. Very appealing because yeah, 1.6 is, is more than enough. And, you know, you've got your downsizer contributions that's coming recently. So, you know, you can sell your, 
if your primary residence and get another 300,000 into super that's not um, counted towards your, your non-concessional caps as well. So, And anyone that had money in superannuation, say if I had, I was, you know, uh, wealthy and I had $5 million in superannuation, that legislation came through. That means 1.6 would be very concessionally taxed yep, yeah. in pension and the rest I could leave in accumulation and that would only be taxed at 10% on income and 15% on capital gain and I could pull it out whenever I want without paying any tax as well. Is yeah, that- 50, yeah, 15% on income, 10% yep. on the capital gain held over yep. 12 months. But um, yeah. So still better yeah, than any benefit. family trust or company structure I could put my money in. Yeah. Most certainly. Uh, so yeah, we've 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 had funds that have forty million in, in an account based pension. So you know they're getting huge uh, tax refunds every year. Uh, not which... as not as good as where Drew keeps his money in the Cayman Islands, where he pays no tax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. And I mean, on that last comment, you know, franking credits have been pretty pop- popular in elections the last few times. Do you see? You got your finger on the pulse. Do you see any changes coming? You know, caps on franking credits. Do you? I, I think pure Labor speculation. Tried, I think Labor tried that last time, and the uh, the growing vote uh, certainly said a big no no to that. So I don't think um, they would be touching that anytime soon. Just little bits of tinkering probably will continue, and restricting how much you can get in. I guess. Yep. So, so yeah. The- I'm, I hope there's no more great uh, tinkering um, with the legislation because it's hard to keep up with all the changes. Hopefully, once all the deficits uh, come back into surpluses, you know, they change the limits and try and get um, you know a bit more into super again. So, so let's go back to the basics. We've said the advantages. What are the disadvantages of putting your money in a self-managed super fund versus, say, an industry fund? Uh, the time probably required to to you know look after your fund. Um, I think there was a, a recent survey lately uh, that it normally takes about five to six hours a month uh, that the average trustee spends on the sort of admin work for your fund. Yep. Um, so it is it does take time. Um, you, you know you can delegate certain responsibilities out, but ultimately um, you know it's a trustee's responsibility to manage the fund. So. Um, you know, in the past, I did have a self-managed super fund, but um, working late and all those hours, um, I just couldn't actually spend the time to actually manage my fund properly. And I wasn't getting the returns uh, that, you know, I was. That's because you didn't have a good advisor, Mark. <laughs> very true, very true. But I'm an accountant, so I'm very tight with my money. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so then then is there a limit? What what If I've got half a million, is that enough to start a self, between my wife and I, is that enough to start a self-managed super fund? Half a mil, most certainly. So there's a recent uh, uh, report done by the uh, actuary firm uh, Rice Warner. Yep. Uh, and they clearly stated that uh, a fund with over 500,000 normally ha- is has better return or is more cost effective yep. than a than an industry retail uh, type fund uh, and with with technology coming into the space uh, with sort of data feeds and ai in in the sort of major software players that yeah a fund with only 200,000 they found is actually uh, not that uh, is sort of cost comparative uh, with the big firms as well so that's that, yeah. That's like everything, right? So when we, you know, again, um, 25 years ago, when we ran self-managed super funds as wealth 
managers, you know, average fee was probably about eight and a half thousand dollars, right? So eight and a half thousand dollars over a million bucks was 0.8 of a percent. You know, with technology and efficiencies and groups like you've started, which is not your accountant, it's more like a uh, a warehouse um, type service, then costs have come down quite significantly, right? Yeah. Um, so therefore, if you thought 80 basis points was appropriate a million, then probably at the cost that you guys are charging or, you know, we charge from using you guys, essentially, it, the amount's probably $200,000 and it still costs you 0.8 of a percent. So, so, so it is, is coming down. Yeah. So once I weigh up the pros and cons, um, and I want to start a self-managed super fund, I know this is not necessarily on our run sheet, but um, the I just need to then decide that my wife and I are the trustees and then buy a trustee, assume off a group like yourself and register with uh, ASIC and, and then I have my structure, start a bank account, put my money in, just make sure every year I do my financial return and my, ta- and my audit and then I'm up and running roughly, investment strategy. Is that, is that the process? Basically, yep. Uh, so yeah, one of the sort of choices uh, or decisions you need to make uh, before sort of setting up is whether you go a corporate or individual trustee. But that's sort of your your main one uh, that you need to sort of consider uh, coming up. They're with pr- a- pretty similar though, aren't they? Essentially, we would advise corporate trustees is slightly bigger fee, but you know, on the death is we're dealing with clients in their last third of their life, right? We deal with death of a partner yeah. all the time. So it's certainly certainly more uh, cost, costly to set up initially, but the, the benefit in the long term with, uh, you know, registering funds investments with, with a corporate trustee that won't change even if you add additional trustee or directors or members in, yep. it has its huge benefits long term. Uh, and then, yeah, death, uh, with the death of the member when you're paying out uh, and technically, you know, if it's a mum and dad fund, you don't need to appoint that second uh, director in because it can be a, a, a single single director uh, corporate trustee as well. So it has certainly got its benefits and, yeah, we'd always be recommending a corporate trustee. Drew, do you want to talk about what a special purpose company is for people that, are, that choose to have a corporate trustee? And there's there's two options. Yeah, I mean, you, creating any type of company, a special purpose company is one that has a special purpose and that special purpose wow, wow. is only, I can laugh at my own jokes today, it's good. Um, well, the, it only has a sole purpose basically and that sole purpose is to act as a trustee. So it doesn't have any assets of its own, it doesn't operate um, and doesn't. you still have to lodge a return, but you don't have to lodge yep. any any real data for it. So it's, it's lower lower cost to cheaper, um, right? So the ASIC yeah. fee is what fifty six bucks or something like that. I think it's fifty nine from memory 59? compared to two two seventy nine. I think from memory they keep going up. So <laughs> every year, yeah. So a company a company will cost you between six hundred and a thousand dollars to set up, um, notwithstanding if it's a special purpose or not. And then if it's a special purpose, it'll cost you fifty nine dollar ASIC fee versus two hundred and whatever eighty or ninety dollars. If you're like me, I always forget to pay them, so it ends up being five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars. So um, I think one uh, thing you're kind of touching on there is that SMSF is a fixed cost. So the only yeah, cost, totally. the only thing you have to do every year is lodge a tax return and an audit. There's a fixed cost to that. Anything you do after that is up to you. You can, you know, invest in funds and pay for them. You can get advice and pay for them. 
but the reason it's so popular is because there's no percentage base to run it. Um, and every, you know, if you put it into an industry fund or into a corporate fund, they're going to charge you anywhere from 0.5 to 1.5% of every dollar that goes in. So mm. that's where the kind of scalability and why it's popular down to 500,000 or two. There's an article in the financial review today that said millennials are the biggest um, cohort opening SMSFs at the moment um, because that tech keeps expanding. And do you think, Drew, that retirees are attracted to self-managed super fund because there's more, they're, they're, it's absolutely transparent. You know, you, you, you kind of contribute to superannuation. You can contribute to superannuation your whole life, but never have a real connection to it. You know, you're not necessarily engaged. 9% of your, whatever the rule number is now goes into superannuation. You finally get to retirement. It's, it's, it, you, you've got a, everyone's got a finite piece of capital, typically at retirement that they have to live on for the rest of their life. There's a real connection that people can make between a self-managed super fund and its assets versus, you know, Mark Delaney at Australian Super is incredibly intelligent, you know, and their team is phenomenal, but the connection is always, you know, one step away. It's not, so therefore, you know, when you're trying to manage this really emotional part of your life, which you've got a finite piece of capital, it feels a bit closer. If you do, do you think that's one of the reasons self-managed super funds are so popular in retirement? I think so. I think there's probably tells you what the financial sector's kind of done wrong as well over 30 or 40 years, and the engagement with their superannuation has never been great. Um, I mean, the perfect thing is we've got. Um, many clients that want to have their own ethical or environmental or social views and investing accordingly in the super fund, but it doesn't matter where you go. You, you can never control every single investment um, going into it apart from an SMSF. So you get I to tailor your approach then yeah. you get and to put you, a filter. Yeah. of. What if you don't want to hold BHP or if you don't want to hold a gambling company where well, you can just not hold it. And if you want to back a renewable energy, you can do that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely one of the biggest demands and then cost. Anyone over you know a million, it's clearly it, all the papers say the ASIC, the SMSF Association papers tell you that it's cost effective. Um, I thought maybe go back to Mark on some of the biggest no-nos of of SMSFs. Um, we get one. There was a there was a question that came through before this, which we can't answer because this is general advice only, and it was a very specific question. Um, <laughs> what are the biggest things that trick you know trip people up uh, when they're running SMSFs? Uh not not providing financial assistance to any of the members. That's probably one of the biggest no-nos and, and sort of early access to super. Um, That's like so, buying yeah. a property for a child in the super fund or for yourself. Well, yeah, it's it's for retirement. So you, you've got to do everything for the sole purpose test. Um, so, uh, you know, it's got to be long-term uh, for, for your retirement. So, you know, it's certainly, you know, need to abide for your, by your preservation standards. Um, so there's no early access. That's probably the, the biggest one on the ATA's radar. Uh, you know, providing financial assistance to members or, or, or relatives. Um, and then basically, if you have, if you sort of have a property, you know, a commercial property that you're renting uh, to, to, your, to your sort of family entity, um, that everything's done at uh, arm's length and commercial terms. Um, so, you know, if not, you know, you're going to be invoking NALI, uh, which jeopardises, you know, that tax concession of the fund. It could, you know, trigger a 47% tax rate within the fund. There have been a few scams around the, the first point, haven't there, where 
where people will set you up, roll you into an SMSF, help you take your money out illegally uh, and charge yep. you for it. That's big, uh, been a big focus in the last few years of the it's regulator. Massive, right? Certainly, yeah, it certainly gets a lot of news every year that uh, there's yeah, companies out there that are uh, promoting it. Uh, it's all, all above board and then, you know, you get caught out. So. We get a lot of, well, a bit, I shouldn't say we, um, but, you know, when you talk about no-nos, there's lots of greys, isn't there? So um, we, we often get asked, should I buy, I want to retire in 20 years' time in Sorrento, should I buy a house in Sorrento? Um, because, you know, in 20 years time, I can sell my house, dump that tr house out of the superannuation fund and then live in that. And, you know, the sole purpose is around retirement. <laughs> it's principal residence, but, you know, essentially where does something like that fit? And how does this, if you're a trustee, how do you test some of that stuff? Because essentially you're in control of your own fund. Yeah. You're, you know, one auditor is having a quick look once a year about how it looks, but how, how do you decide that if it's appropriate or not appropriate? Uh, I'd say you probably, if you, if you think you're going into the gray area, most certainly reach out to a, you know, to a specialist uh, to mm. make sure that you're, you're not getting caught out by anything. Find uh, some affirmative eight. advice. Yeah, uh, and basically, yeah, if find a beach house that uh, later down in the track could become your retirement home, uh, you know, is certainly, um, you know, would alert the ATO on some instances. But, you know, it's certainly an allowable asset uh, as long as you're not staying in the in the premise uh, for residential. Uh, so, you know, the auditors would be closely looking at that, uh, checking lease agreements, checking... Um, you know, if it's managed by a real estate agent, because, you know, if, if it's managed by a third party, then it, it looks more uh, at arm's length. Um, yep. But, yeah, I have seen clients that have stayed, you know, you can clearly see on these statements that, that they've um, stayed in the property themselves. So that's just going to sort of lead to an ATO audit and attention you don't want. And what's the, the penalty for that? That's non-arms length income or, or non -arms, income tax? Yeah, non-arms yeah, non length income. So tax at 47% uh, potentially could uh, get disqualified as a, as a trustee of the fund, uh, get the fund wound down. Um, so, and 47% tax on everything as well. And then you get your trustee penalties, the civil and maybe criminal penalties imposed by the ATO as well. So, and that's at, on every single trustee as well. So there's some big consequences if, if you do some fraudulent activity. And where's all the audit and uh, accounting focus at the moment? Uh, property valuations is a big one. Um, it's causing a lot of headaches with advisors and trustees. It's what the biggest blowback we're getting this year from our sort of clients. Um, so the ATO sort of released guidance notes to auditors and sort of updated their property valuation guidelines on the ATO. Uh, just before uh, sort of late last year, so it was around about September, October, they updated those guidelines and, and it just spelled out that, you know, in the past you could just do a curbside valuation from a real estate agent uh, and uh, that would suffice for order purposes on valuing the property at market, uh, at current market rates. But now the ATO is saying that a curbside valuation, if it doesn't actually state your comparable sales, it isn't uh, sufficient audit evidence for the auditors to sign off on the market values of properties anymore. So you really need to, uh, you know, 
dig a bit deeper, do your sort of research, and then, you know, with the help of your sort of SMS badminton firm, then, you know, potentially try and determine what a property is worth. So there's a few online sites. Um, you know, you can get a core logic report that has those sort of comparable sales. So it's a little bit just additional work uh, that normally, um, you know, would have sufficed in, you know, an audit two years ago. But that's probably the biggest noise coming through lately and, and gnarly as well. Um, so, you know, with unit trusts, anything that's doing, um, being dealt with a related party is getting special attention uh, with auditors to make sure it's all at commercial terms. You've got documented lease agreements, loan agreements, uh, if there's loans with related parties. And what happens when um, I, I do my financial accounts and I have my house in Sorrento and the auditor goes, mate, you've got no rental here and you've, you've been staying in it. Um, so I'm not going to sign off on the audit. Do I just go? Well, they'll, they'll, they'll sign, sign off on the audit. They'll well, sign they? off okay, on yep. the audit. Yep. Uh, so even if even if you go to audit shopping, once you've engaged an auditor and they've actually uh, started auditing the fund, even if you pull the audit later to say, all right, I'm not, I don't agree with you anymore, they're still obliged to actually lodge a contravention report with the ATO notifying them of the potential qualifications within the fund. So, so um, kill you kill the auditor as well. Fire him. <laughs> God, Jesus. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, yeah, it'll just be, just be a part A, part B qualification. So you're not, you haven't complied with, or potentially complied with this, yeah. and that will just lead to an ATO audit who they will then make a determination if you have uh, sort of complied with the legislation. So how so important I, is it to have a... Sp- Specialist SMSF accountant and auditor. The kind of stuff you just went through is another level of knowledge to to have these sort of assets. Is it? It for, for for a vanilla fund, it's just like cash and shares. You know, they're pretty basic returns. Uh, but you know, if you're doing anything, you know, starting pensions, um, doing all that, it it pays to go to a specialist because they live and breathe it. Um, you know, I've been doing it for twenty years, so I know it back to front. I can. I can do it with, with my eyes closed. Um, but, you know, you get to that local suburban accountant. We picked one up uh, last week and, you know, the, the financials and member statements are four pages long. Uh, it's going to take quite a bit of remedial work to reconstruct, you know, tax-free, taxable components, uh, cost bases. It's just not there. Um, so if, if in the event something happens, like a death of the member or something, you can't, give that advice because you you've, you're basing uh, a set of financials off a tax return which has no data for you so is, is there numbers around in terms of how many funds there are and how many funds uh have their accounts up to date and audits is it well, i'm sure there are i don't have the numbers available be interesting uh, yeah, to see wouldn't it the the, the there's a lot of firms doing uh, SMSF admin. So it is spread across multiple. There's no one big player that has, you know, the market share of, yep. um, of doing the account. You know, plenty of firms have tried and failed because, um, yeah, you get to a certain amount and you just uh, lose out on service. 600,000 funds or thereabouts in Australia, is that right? Very close, I think. Yep. Um, and, yeah, there was a big spike in uh, establishments last year uh, yep. by those millennials. Uh, getting to you know the more exotic assets that they're more uh, risk. Hmm. A couple of real world examples, or have you got another question, Jamie? I always have a hundred questions, <laughs> <laughs> especially on super. Yeah. 
Um, I had a couple of yeah, yeah, I think I put a couple of examples in the in the preparation sheet of you know the one of the big benefits of superannuation is flexibility, whether that or SMSFs is flexibility, whether that's contributions, pensions. Um, one common question we get is around rollovers into and and out of SMSFs. Um, a lot more complicated now with SuperStream. So that's another reason why, you know, if you have a dedicated SMSF administrator, you know, they can assist with that because um, to, to initiate a rollover now, it's got to be done through SuperStream. You can't do a paper rollover statement. So you really need sort of dedicated software to do that now. And, and so, do you, so does that involve repricing assets or getting might, value of the fund? So yeah, if you if you're doing any sort of benefit payment, you need to have up to date figures. So you need to know what the members' balance is the date before the transfer. So yeah, most they, of the time they call provisional. Account, they used to be called provisional accounts, or is that we just call it? them interim accounts, basically. Okay. Um, yep. So interim so, to establish yeah. the member balance, and then then there's a system to roll that money to whatever super fund you want. Yep. So it's a little yep. bit harder so, than rolling out of an industry fund, but you can still do it. Yeah, just we just prepare a set of financials up to the date, basically. So yeah, we do half the work or a quarter of the work uh, before the end of year and just um, stri strike the earning rates and then prepare the documents. So it just yeah. needs a little bit of coordination between your firm uh, and the client. Uh, so you know, if you are sort of intending to roll out of a sort of industry fund to your SMSF, sort of reach out to your administrator because there are sort of penalties for uh, delays in um, doing that notification via SuperStream. So if, if we do need to pair interim accounts, we need to have that up to date before we sort of do that uh, messaging system through, through the software to say, all right, we're ready to do a rollover. Can you pay the money or pay the money out to, a, to an Australian super type entity? So, so this is the problem when you use an accountant and he, they, he or she has... 25 self-managed super funds, then it's really, really specific, isn't it? And, and, and technical. So yep. you have to pay your advisor, your, your accountant to learn how to do it rather than, you know, use a group like yours. Yes, you could pay thousands of dollars just to do that where, you know, it's, it, it doesn't really cost anything extra with us. We'll just do it for you because it's just part of the normal account. Yeah. And I'll go a couple of questions. Can you, can you buy stocks and funds from yourself? By the super uh, as long as it's uh, sort of widely held and listed securities, like, yeah, you can certainly buy an ASX shares from yourself and transfer them uh, into your super fund as long as it's at current market rates. Uh, so you're not buying uh, like CSL from yourself for $10 or anything. So you're not trying to minimise uh, any capital gains and get the benefit into it. So, yeah, as long as it's at market rates, uh, you can sort of buy, you know, your ASX shares uh, from yourself and transfer them into the fund. And likewise, you, you can always buy it back off the super fund if you need be. And excess contributions tend to be popping up a bit more regularly. I think just because there's been so many changes. The, or the current limits, Jamie, what, 27,500 for concessional and 110 for non-concessional. Yep. Is there flexibility around, you know, allocating if you've over-contributed, um, potentially there is some things but um, you know with like uh, it, it really depends on things because uh, you know typically once a contribution is made it's locked in uh, but you know if, if you made a non-concessional contribution uh, depending on the you know transfer balance account uh, balance of each member you think okay, you could move it across from you know the husband to the wife uh, if 
if they're sort of bring uh, you know the non-concessional caps have been uh, triggered or exceeded. And could you comment on reserving strategies as well? So, yeah, I think I've used them once in in twenty years. <laughs> we have we have one advisor that has about ten of them uh, in yeah. their fund. So uh, I, it it comes in uh, well, but once you use it, you use it, you need to use it nearly every single year because then you you know you brought forward those contributions oh, yeah, from yeah. the next year. So I'm not not sure the full benefit, but yeah, if you if you you know you you're slightly gone over your contributions in one year. Uh, and the contributions made in June uh, within the legislation, there's you need to allocate it within 28 days a month following the contribution. So it's really only uh, to allocate any contributions you re received in June. You could allocate putting a reserve and allocate it to the member on the in July in the next year, and that means it's still taxed in the fund. In the in say it was in June 21, it's taxed in the fund in June 21. But it, it counts towards their concessional caps in the, the year after. twenty years in the year after. And you'd get yeah. the tax deduction if it was concessional in your in your own name yep. in the previous yep. year so too, the, wouldn't you? So as the well. company so the company can claim the tax deduction. So yeah, they could put in um, I'll say the fifty thousand because um, yep. I can't be bothered working out the other one. Uh, so <laughs> so yeah, they could claim fifty thousand or in in their member personal return. You know, they could put in member concessional fifty thousand if yep. they've got a large capital gain in that one year to to minimise their tax. So there is certainly strategies yeah, and it great. comes into play. What's the weirdest asset you've ever seen in a self managed super fund? Crypto. <laughs> It's mainstream wine. asset now, Drew. Wine. I've seen, I've seen wine in there, uh, comic books or... Mine or... would be empty bottles, not wine. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably the main ones. Um, comic books. Comic books um, and, yeah, just sort of... Collectibles comic... are allowed, aren't they? You can do, like, you could you do can. art, can you? Yep. You can, but yeah, there's still sort of uh, requirements that you can't be stored on, on, you know, in your sort of residential premise. It needs to be yep. stored off-site. Um, it can't be on display unless it's, um, you know, if, if, you are, if you are leasing it from yourself, then it needs to or count within your sort of in-house asset rules. Uh, so your 5% limits, which uh, don't really come into play as much as it did in the past. But... What about rare cars? I've always wanted a 1972 Dino Ferrari. Can I put that at, sell my Sorento property? And need some more in your that? super fast. Yeah. I, I, do have, I, did, I do have a, did have a client that had a, a it was a, MG, I think it was. Uh, yep. But with with those, you, you can't actually drive it at all. Not mm. even to take it to your local mechanic to get it. Uh, Is that right? Yep. It has to be in a museum or a storage. It has to, yeah, it has to be storage, and yeah, you can't drive it ever. So I think the temptation is too great to have those in there. Um, but yeah, I do know of one client that's got it. It's stored at uh, you know a uh, a garage. Um, and yeah, the audit requirements, you, you're going to sort of get particular attention from the auditors every year. Uh, we, we have one client with gold bullion. Um, quite, um, he has a, a lot of gold bullion. Like uh, the Perth Mint or in his actual? Yeah, yeah Perth Mint. So yep. uh, he's got his, his stores that has his bank vault. So every year I ask the question to uh, confirm yep. uh, you still hold it. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Give me a photo of it with today's paper uh, and, and show me every single gold bar because he has a, a lot, lot of it. And that's prime. That's priming his uh, investment strategy: gold bullion and a small percentage in cash. That's his entire fund. He's worried about uh, inflation. 
<laughs> and I, all I'm getting is queries about crypto at the moment. Not, not that we recommend it, but I had a question in the run sheet about can you hold it in SMSF? You can, uh, so certainly, and it's becoming a lot more popular. Like uh, five years ago, I had one fund that had cryptocurrency. Um, he did lose quite a bit of money in it because uh, he got in just as it went bust. Uh, so he did lose a bit. But yeah, most certainly can hold uh, cryptocurrency. Uh, just need to be mindful of that the, the investment needs to be registered in the name of the super fund. So it can't be held in your name personally. Um, yep. So there's a few exchange in Australia that does do allow uh, for the registration uh, to be set up correctly. Uh, and then, yeah, you just need to sort of figure out uh, that the funds are audited. So make sure, you know, they they do have reporting or you can sort of subscribe to a, to a sort of um, a wallet or reporting system that can track all your trades, your gain and losses, uh, and your sort of portfolio valuations. And it could potentially mean your fees, your admin fees are a little bit more expensive if you're trading a hell of a lot and we can't sort of get a sort of data feed on those sort of transactions. Great. I think that's uh, our run sheet. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Drew? Uh, I could go for another, as as uh, Mark knows, another hour and a half. So I think it's good to have this as a you know nice intro catch up, and then we'll we'll tailor the next series around around even specific issues, yeah. more yeah, more complicated. So and welcome any questions. Uh, appreciate your time, Mark. Um, obviously, we've had a, a long association with you and Stephen, um, and uh, it's been a very successful one. So, appreciate you giving up your time and listening to um, uh, listening or contributing to to this podcast. Um, really beneficial for us and beneficial for the readers. So, on behalf of Drew and I, thanks very much. You're very welcome. For all listeners, uh, that's the conclusion of uh, this episode uh, in Series 3. Um, please join us for the next one. Drew, do you, do you have any? I don't know who that is. We're the team from Barwon Investment Partners talking about healthcare property uh, on Friday awesome. morning. Great. All right, guys. Thanks very much. Thanks.